Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great job. Thanks, uh, Alice and Helen and Joel and Carrie and John and everybody else. Morning, everyone. Uh, It's freezing in here, isn't it? Am I right about that or is it just me? It is cold in here. Okay, we're... We are cold together. There's a commonality about our sense of, uh, of temperature. Five uh, graces of, uh, of Jesus somewhere, uh, I hope. Okay, last week was uh, Vision Sunday. Why don't you um, turn to the person next? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Who, who was that? Who, who, who whooped? Who couldn't hold it in any longer? Uh, turn to the person next to you and um, uh, say something that you remember about the Vision Sunday. And if you weren't here, then just listen to someone who was. <clears throat> One of the, um, the things that we talked about uh, last Sunday was about raising a developmental culture, a place where people can, can have a go, that Burlington might be the place where you could rock up on a Sunday and think to yourself, gosh, this church doesn't value preaching very much because it looks like that person is preaching for the first time. And you would be right. Maybe they are because we value preaching that much. If a job's worth doing well, it's worth doing hey, badly. A much better result than we had last week. Uh, that's the whole quote. Uh, it's worth doing badly. We all start somewhere. Even service hosts start somewhere. We all have a go, we live together, we grow together, and we learn together. So it's one of the abiding things that I'm taking forward into this term uh, from our Vision Sunday. Can we make sure that wherever we uh, kind of break open the rock of our church life, that we see that sense of discipling and developmental culture at uh, work? Ephesians 4, last time, a fortnight ago, set the scene for this whole series called Five Graces. And we remind ourselves quite quickly that five graces, according to Paul, were given to the church by Jesus. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Imagine a gift from Jesus. Who wouldn't want to take hold of a good gift that Jesus has for us? Even more so when we dig a little into the passage and see why those gifts are given. Five graces for us to have the fullness of Christ. Graces given to equip his people for works of service So that the body of Christ, you and me, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. How many of us are going to reach unity? All of us in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to just a little bit of the measure of the fullness of Christ. No, to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we have five graces given to the church in order that the people together might fully express the fullness of who Christ 
is. If we wished Jesus was here in Ipswich so that Ipswich could come to faith, Ephesians 4 reminds us that Jesus is already in Ipswich because we are the expression of him, his body. And we tried to picture that kind of church. Then we digressed for a moment, you might remember, and we talked about pastors because that was the word we recognized. We knew all about pastors and maybe we knew a little bit about teachers and then we thought, well, who are the teachers? Oh, aren't they the pastors? And we realized that we weren't quite as clear on all the whole thing as perhaps we thought we were. And uh, then we landed the whole thing with the reminder that if we look afresh, if we seek to try and learn anew what Paul is saying, if we grapple with what's presented here, we have this brilliant unfolding that we all share in these five graces. Every one of us has grace as Christ uh, apportioned it. So these aren't five things given to leaders or five things given to special people. These are five things that we share in common across the body of Christ, a grace to each one of us. Something for the saints so that all the saints together might reach maturity. And that's where we left it last time. A deeply radicalizing picture of what Jesus longs for the church. We need all five, and all five have already been given according to his power that is already at work within us. So, you can get the podcast. If you missed that or you missed the Vision Day, you can find the podcast on iTunes. You can find it on Church Suite. You can find it on the website. You can find it on your podcast app. Basically, it's impossible to go on the internet without finding it because it's everywhere. And... Uh, make use of that. We laid some really, I've covered very quickly, some very important foundations, I think, that we'll build on, I hope, through the coming uh, weeks. So, what are these five graces? What's the nature of them? And are they just another group of gifts that are listed in various parts of the New Testament? No. I think that what's listed here is qualitatively different from the other lists that we have in the New Testament. So you will immediately think of good biblical scholars of 1 Corinthians 12 when there's a, a list of spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives to the church in order that the body might be built up. And the context of the giving of those gifts is all around the gathering, particularly for celebration, for worship, and for encouraging one another. Or you might think of another list of gifts in the New Testament. Where would you go to find one of those? Romans 12 is the most obvious place to go to. Another list of gifts. Uh, and they're much more practical in nature around the establishing and the growing, the building of a community, administration, leadership, uh, serving, hospitality, and so on. But I think here there is something different that at first you might think is subtle, but the more I've pondered it, the more significance uh, I think we should uh, place upon it. Those other lists 
are, are like gifts that are given to a person. So I give Carrie the gift of administration and I give Josh the gift of serving and I give Luke the gift of hospitality and so on. It's, it's that kind of image that the Spirit gives these various gifts out to different people. And it paints a picture of a church full of people with gifts. Now that's pretty cool, isn't it? That we all have gifts and we all have a part to play. What Paul is describing here, though, in Ephesians seems, as I say, qualitatively different. It's not a gift to a person, but here the gift is the person. Think about what Paul is saying, uh, that Jesus gives to the church and he gives five gifts The apostles, so he gives the group of people who are apostles, he gives the prophets, the pastors, the shepherds, sorry, the shepherds, the the evangelists, the shepherds, and uh, the teachers. The emphasis is not so much that you are given a gift, but that you are a gift. It's not that you have a gift, but that you are a gift. Turn to the person next to you and say, do you know what? I not only have a gift, but I am a gift to this church. Hello, I'm a gift to this church, and aren't we all? The doing, the kind of roles and the functions and the activities of it seem to come from a deeper sense, caught up in a sense of being. You are this. It's not that you do something or you act in a certain way, but that you are a certain person. Paul connects that sense of being with the doing, not just a task, but who you are. And so it becomes more a matter of vocation, of calling, which makes a lot of sense when you look at where Paul begins in chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. This is about the person that you are. The, the, the shape that God has placed in you, the, the, the beauty that he's created uh, you to be. So much deeper than a gift, what we're given is a sense of calling, a sense of identity. It's not just that you have gifts, but that you are the gift. You are the gift. And it strikes me that if we're given a gift, I can choose to use it or not, but I am who I am. And I can either choose, with all my brokenness and fallenness, just like you, I am who I am, and I can either choose to step into being who I am and seek for God to fix me, repair me, sort me out, uh, redeem me, so that I become a useful gift, but I still am who I am. I can't, I can't ignore who I am. There's something deeper going on in these, in, in these verses, a sense of, of calling, a sense of identity. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Something that's, excuse me, that's part of who we are. So what's their nature, these five graces? It's more than a gift. It's more like, I think, an identity, a calling, a, a way of being. And so to use very modern language, language that they didn't have at their disposal uh, 2,000 years ago, or at least not in the way that I can think of it and conceptualize, to use modern language... Well, what's being talked about here is something more akin to what we would talk about when we talk about a personality type. 
And uh, some of you will have done a lot of work on your personality type. Others of you perhaps have not done anything about it uh, at all. But a personality type helps us give language and uh, understanding to the way we see the world, the way we respond to the world, the way that we respond to uh, different ways of communication, the way we see things, our particular perspective, and so on and so uh, forth. And if you've done anything around your particular personality type, you will know that there is something liberating, empowering to read someone describing you a little bit. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You've kind of heard someone say, well, some people are like this. And you go, oh, that's a bit uncanny. I am like that. I can see it. And someone mirroring it back to you becomes an empowering thing. It helps you capture your sense of personhood, your sense of identity, your sense of who you are, the shape Not physical, that's another story altogether, but your personality shape the person that you are. In in that sense, and I use the term loosely in quotes because it's got all sorts of flaws attached to it. In that sense, what's going on here is more akin to a personality type. There are these five personality gifts that are given to the church in order that the church might flourish. And we're going to look at these... Five different personality types over the weeks. Um, we'll do two and then we'll do three. Or maybe we'll do three and then we'll do two. We'll see. Um, and and the, the idea is that as, as we begin to understand who we are, the gift that we are to the people of God, it helps us to step into it. Uh, very simply, when you hear someone say something about who you are, it helps you to embrace it. I can remember, I can't remember the exact word that was used, but my first report at school that I ever got was in Standard 1. Who knows what Standard 1 is in new money? It's the beginning of Key Stage 2. What's that? Year 3. Okay, Year 3. I had to wait to Year 3 to get a report. Now we give people reports in the maternity wing, don't we? You've been a great baby today. They've done sats before they get home in the car seat. I had to wait to year three before I got my first report. And it said something about um, that Simon's good at problem solving. Now, (laughs) hasn't turned out to be so true as it would happen. But I remember reading that and thinking someone somewhere believes that there is some capacity in me to solve a particular problem. And going at the problem with the plumbing that we had in our downstairs toilet with a new sense of vigor. I was totally clueless about it, and in that sense it's a bad illustration, but it does reflect how when we begin to get a sense of, of understanding about ourselves that transcends who we are, it releases something and empowers something within us. So what, why, is, why is it all important? It's because if we understand what environments we flourish in, then we are more likely to flourish. If we understand what ways we communicate best and how we struggle with other types of communication, then we can cope with it and handle it better. If we understand the way that we relate to others best, we can maximize our strengths and minimize our weaknesses. If we understand what gives us life and what drains us, then we can live a better balanced life and so on. And imagine that you not only understood yourself, but you begin to understand others. Now, we know all this stuff. 
teams at, at work and in all kinds of uh, places have been doing this kind of stuff for a long, long time because it releases people's uh, potential. So that's a modern day kind of way of thinking about what we read here in ancient times. And it's not a perfect match by a long way, but maybe it helps us to begin to get a handle on what's going on here with these five graces. So we thought about their nature. What are they in particular? The apostle. The apostle, they weren't just the apostles. Sometimes the scriptures talk about the apostles, but there were lots of other apostles that we read about in the New Testament. Apostle literally means sent one. The apostles are the people that go where other people haven't gone before. Can you remember Paul saying, I want to preach the gospel where the gospel has not been preached yet? For some people, that really energizes and fires them up. For others of us, it completely terrifies us. Just in the same way that for some of us, uh, pioneering something new releases an energy in us that we do not have when we have to maintain something that already exists. So we recognize there are some people that carry an apostle-type shape. They're the, the ones that go first, the visionaries, the pioneers, and so on. And you'll notice with all of these, there aren't neat biblical definitions, and I think that's a really good thing. God doesn't want to put us in a little box. It's more a, a rainbow, a tapestry, than it is little uh, rigid, rigid squares and, and boxes. And we see these um, laying as kind of themes under the whole of the New Testament journey. And, and as we get to the end of this morning, you may well be thinking, oh, I don't see them quite as clearly as maybe I'm implying. You need to come back next week when we look at Jesus and we see how those themes were embedded in the life of Jesus and then how they get extended through into the life of the church. And um, if you get excited about that kind of thing, you'll find it mildly exciting. The prophet. The prophet are the ones who speak up and speak out. Prophets particularly focused on, on truth and justice. What's God saying and what are we going to do uh, about this situation in the light of, of what God is saying? Think of the great prophetic voices that there have been over the years that have championed change, the prophetic voices that ended slavery, the prophetic voices of the suffragettes, for example, and the, the prophetic voices today that are, are shouting out about modern-day slavery and so on. The evangelist, they are the good news carriers, constantly uh, proclaiming uh, the good news. They can't help themselves but talk about the good news. They are the promoters, the, the, the preachers sometimes, the presenters, the advocates. That they, it spills out of them. Do you know sometimes you're with someone and, and, and you're at the checkout and they're already into Jesus and the four steps to, you know, just while they're scanning the shopping. And you kind of think, how on earth did they do that? I could never do that. They're the evangelists and you're not, most probably, to put it very simply. For some people it just bubbles up out of uh, them. Always drawing people uh, to faith in Jesus. Then there's the shepherd. Uh, we've used the word pastor, haven't we, traditionally in church life. Let's use the word shepherd for a while so it, it doesn't get mixed up with leaders of churches and all that sort of stuff. Shepherds, they're the caregivers, the nurturers. The shepherds are the people that you want to be around when you're feeling sore and hurt. You don't want to be around apostles when you're feeling sore and hurt because they're on to the next thing. You want to be people that are going to love you and care for you and nurture you and, uh, and, and bring you back to life. These are the people that you, you gather around when you're sick. These are the people that you gravitate to when you have something to share. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Because you know what kind of response that you'll get. You, you know the level of empathy that you'll receive uh, from them. These are the people, and this is true in church life and everywhere else, these are people who are acutely aware of everyone else's anxiety when change is suggested. You know, you can feel the tension of other people. You, you can feel people's anxiety. Your sense of, uh, of intuition towards that is really high. And then there are the teachers the guides, the people that explain things, the, the people that protect truth and ideas, uh, that love to help others grow in their understanding. Teachers love to try make, to make sense of complex things, make complex things appear simple in order for others to grasp hold of it and to understand they are the explainers and uh, the guides. Now, as I said some moments ago, uh, I've kept the definition super loose and super woolly for the purpose of this morning um, because I think they are generally a bit loose and a bit woolly until we narrow them right down into the life of Jesus. And we'll get there. But before we get there, I want you to see something else uh, this morning that, that maybe isn't apparent already in, in what I've been saying. And that's this, that if these five graces are super foundational themes given to the church, then we would expect to see those five things to be super important in the life of the ministry of Jesus, correct? Because we are the body of Christ. We flow out of, we continue on the ministry of uh, Jesus. If those five things are dominant themes in the ministry of Jesus then we would expect them to be very significant themes for God himself, would we not? Because Jesus, as Alice read to us, is the revelation of God. He is the firstborn. He is the, the source and the, the, the one who makes sense of it all, holds all things together, and so on. So we would expect these five things to be important for God. And if five, these five things are important to God, we would expect to see them evident in Creation. We are made in the image of God. And as we stand back and look at the big picture for a moment, I just want us to take, us to take that kind of grandstand big picture view that these are five themes, five personalities for life that are super significant for the church, but actually we see them already in common grace given to the world. Because when God created the world, in all its brokenness that we now witness, in all its fullness, when God created the world, he created the world out of himself. And so things that are true for him became true of his creation. We are made in his uh, image. And this is where I think it gets even more exciting. And I can see you're very excited. Five graces that the world needs and recognizes that it needs. These are things that are built into human beings because they are core to who God is. There are other things that that is true of. Marriage, covenant commitment is true of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we see marriage mimicked acted out in whatever culture around the world that you find yourself in throughout all history. They might have done it in different ways and have different parameters around it, but the essential thing of people coming together in agreed covenant is part of what it means to be human because it's part of what it was for God to be, to be God. And so suddenly, as we think about these five graces, and we might have very narrow blinkers and think of it in terms of 
church life, and we might think of church life being this narrow kind of little box of what we do when we get together. I want to blow the box apart for a moment and see that these five graces are true everywhere. And do you know when you see something new for the first time, suddenly you see it everywhere? I'm going to buy a Nissan Qashqai. No one else has got one of those. And then you see them everywhere. I'm going to buy a silver car because there aren't many. And then you see them everywhere. Or you learn a new word and you feel quite kind of proud and pompous that you've learned a new word. And then lo and behold, everyone seems to use it. It's even on the BBC and things like that. And it's a bit like that, I think, with these things. Once you see them, you begin to see them reflected everywhere as the image, the imprint of God is all over his creation. Think of the apostle nature. The pioneer, the stepping out, the breaking of new ground. Every new discovery, every new invention, every new technology has been driven by what you might say almost obsessive apostle type people. I'm going to create something that doesn't exist. It's what drove Steve Jobs when, if you uh, followed him from Apple of old. People that will step into the unknown and see something and create something that before they turned up, no one else could see or uh, create it. And some of us love that idea of doing that, and some of us absolutely loathe it and think of it as our worst nightmare. As I I mentioned some moments ago, think of the prophet nature, those who've spoken truth and championed justice. It's not always been the prerogative of the church. Common grace in ordinary people around the world have spoken out truth and justice. Um, If prophets hadn't stood up and shouted out, we'd still be sending kids up uh, chimneys and keeping people as slaves and Women would still not have the right to vote and modern day slavery would be hidden and tucked away and so on and and so forth. So we we need the apostles and we need the prophets and think of the evangelist in nature, those who are skilled in communicating and gathering people to a cause. Without the evangelist type of gift, some of these causes that the prophets talk about would never gather momentum. We need people who will uh, promote and negotiate and advertise, make connections and, and so on and so forth. Many of the great inventions of the world would never be known without the gift of uh, the evangelists. Think of the shepherds, the nurturers, the healers, the life guides, the counselors, the nurses, the doctors. Perhaps that's one of the easier ones for us to grab hold of. Think of the the caregivers. Think of the the peacemakers. If there weren't shepherds in the world, this world would have blown itself to bits by war a long time ago. If it wasn't for those that could bring people together and and shake people back into their senses and, and nurse them back into life. Most teams in the world would have fallen apart, would they not, without the shepherds. Think of the teachers, those who teach our children and students, obviously, but those who help us with things we don't understand, those who can bridge the gap between my reality and my understanding, those who give language to my experiences to help me navigate through life. And maybe you can begin to see what I'm suggesting, that these themes are everywhere because they're in the world that God made. And I would suggest that every team... Every school, every university, every hospital, every workplace, every family, every home, every community, every church needs all five to be flourishing for the whole thing to flourish. You with me? 
Life is the coming together of these things. I'm not saying it's exclusive and there are other things that are important. Leadership is super important. And leaders come in all five of the graces and they lead in different ways. And we need all those expressions of leadership and so on. But, but just as a kind of foundational theme, a way of thinking about what God's doing in the world. And rightly you would say, if you're still with me, haven't you moved a long way now from gifts being given to the church? Yes, And no, the church, and I love this bit, it's like the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible from beginning to end. It's like there was some thought that went into it. The church, in its full maturity, is a community not for itself, but for the the world. But for the world. A mature church is not mature in isolation, distinct from the world, separated, yes, but not distinct from. The church is, is mature more when it's living that reality of Jesus in the world than when it's segregated away from the world. This is not just an organization or an institutional function, but these graces poured into our lives enable us together to be fully Jesus' body, to be fully an expression of who Jesus is, and that expression matters most out there because we are here for them. The mission of God is not in here. The mission of God is out there. You are a gift to the church, And if the church rises to maturity, the church will be a gift to the world. And wouldn't it be beautiful for for those that are are most apostle-like to be most apostle-like in the name of Jesus in the world? And those who are most prophet-like to be most prophet-like in the name of Jesus in the world? And so on and so forth. So as Paul puts it, let us live a life, not let us serve in church, But let us live a life worthy of the grace. And he's gone on to talk about the graces, the gifts, the grace that is within us. Let us live life worthy of the calling, worthy of the grace that is within us. The calling that you have received. Exciting times, things to embrace, things to learn, things to grow in, things to discover that I might be fully me. Knowing that in the purpose of God, it's not just that I have gifts, it's that I am a gift to the church and therefore the world. That you don't just have gifts, I mean that's brilliant enough, but that you are a gift to the church and therefore the world. Let's pray. Thank you Lord for the way your word illuminates our lives. We, we want to bring our lives under the truth of your word. We thank you for common grace in the world that we're all made in your image. And we thank you for the peculiar, spectacular, redeeming grace in Jesus Christ. We thank you that it's not just that you give us gifts for us to use, but that we are a gift. The people that we are, the way we see the world, the way we engage with the world, the way we respond to the world, the way we communicate with the world, the way that we live in the here and now is a gift to the church and therefore the world. Help me to grow Help us to grow in the people that you have already created us to be. May nothing, not even the words of the enemy, stop us from growing in the fullness of the natures that you've placed within us. Unlock our potential. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray.
that the church might be fully mature. And therefore, we might be the church with the people and where you've placed us in the world. And not only would the church get changed, but lives and workplaces and neighborhoods and schools and work teams and leisure clubs would get changed in the powerful name of Jesus. So release us from whatever enslaves us that we might rise to the calling as children of God.